Was this real recently? Two weeks. Okay. Yeah, two weeks ago. There was a gravel race up north of Tulsa called the Osage Passage. It was put on by Tulsa Tough. It was like a really nice production. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the start of it went through this like uh, uh, like private ranch. And it was all like ranch roads and super technical rocky terrain. And I was just too far behind and I was trying to get up to the front. So I was passing people like an idiot and completely my fault. Totally my fault. Um, I think I actually don't truly remember what happened because I hit my head. And like, I remember right before it and I remember right after it. But like, I have a, I still have a front tire puncture from the crash. Uh, and so I think I may have punctured and lost my front wheel. I think that's what happened, but I don't know for sure. Um, but dude, these are the chances we take, right? Dude, I, oh man, like Oregon trail, there were some times <laughs> I was like, I'm going to die. Yeah. And I mean, I was, it was really funny at the end of the week, I ran into that guy, Barry, the, what's yeah. his last name? Wick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, man, you guys are just on another level, blah, blah, blah. And we were talking on the bikes. He's like, wait, you did that whole race on 38s? So I was like, yeah. uh, in a 37. He's like, that's frightening. And I was like, yeah. you make me feel better because I I was scared at some points. Yeah, if you would have had like 45s, your life would have been completely different. <laughs> What's a, what is 2.1? What does that equate to in – 2.1's like 55, 55. Oh my god, that's what those guys were running? Yeah. No wonder oh. they could ride through the sand. I was so pissed at that race. Yeah, oh, I know. Well, hey, I dude, thank you for sitting down and doing this. Yeah, of course, man. I'm stoked. This, this is the- like I'm like I'm in this spot where like I kind of have to like be super uh stationary. I can't move a bunch and so like I don't get to see people or so like I was looking forward to this because I get to talk to a human. Yeah. <laughs> you know, talk to a human and you get to shed some amazing knowledge because the whole point that I've been like reaching out to people to do these is really kind of goes back to way back to when we started Evoke Bike of being like, okay, I was talking to Patrick on the phone and I'm like, dude, we should record this. There's a lot of, I forget what we were even talking about, something just like bike yeah. racing. Right. And our history goes back. A lot of people probably don't know this story that when I first saw you, didn't know you, is when yeah. I moved to Tennessee, go out to Crosswinds Classic, and I yeah. think I told you this. Yeah. We're warming up, and I see this dude rolling down the road the other way, and I'm like, who is this badass dude? And we saw you, Chad, and somebody else, and I was like, yo, I don't, who are the blue and green kits? And they're like, oh, this team from Oklahoma City. I was like, yeah, they look, look like bike racers. Like, those are who we're, we're watching out for these dudes. So that was the first, like, Andy Chastain has an aura, whether you know that or not. I, I'm sure people tell you that all the time. But it was like, okay. Um, and then, you know, we linked up through DNA. And it's just been – I've learned a ton from you in the space of – it's almost – it is bike racing, but it's like you're in the industry. You seem to always have a great like recommendation for, Hey, how do I reach out to this company? Hey, I'm going to try and grow this team. How would I do this? Hey, I want to grow my personal brand. What would you do? Um, And I'm kind of curious where you've kind of gone. I just want to talk to you about all this stuff. Um, I think it's going to shed a lot of light to people that are listening who are just starting getting into racing and 
um, that type of thing. Just a bike nerd. Just a bike nerd. That's it. Yeah, but you have, you know, you have a really good thing of even it's on your, I think, website or uh, it's not on your Instagram where it's like branding, strategy, photography, content, social, and copywriting. And I'm like, he nailed it. Those are all the things he's really good at. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you thinking when I said that? Well, I just, you know, I... You probably eventually want to get into that this, but like for my business, I never could make a good living just shooting photos. I had to add to that. I had to add to the total package in order to become successful at what I wanted to do. So, um, and I don't know how I, I mean, I don't have a degree in any of this, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's all self-taught. It's all, um, some of it's probably ingrained into my DNA. My, my mom told me that when I was a kid, I wouldn't even let her fold my clothes because she didn't do it right. You really? Know? I'm particular. I'm a particular person. And I think that obviously that stays with you as a human, as you grow, right? Like, you know, I'm still particular. I'm still, I still look at the details of things and how, how do things look and how to like, that's, you know, it's just part of like my personality. And that's how I come to, how I came to do what I currently do, I guess. Well, so this is a really good jumping off point because it was a really, I mean, this conversation may not have been happening if I wasn't sitting at your kitchen table. You were one of the people that when I was one foot still in medical device, I remember that kind of like, I don't know if I can really make coaching a full-time gig Mm -hmm. and like make money I want to make. And then I'm going to try and maybe get into like this social media marketing because I was helping Chris with his office. I'm like, maybe there's a business here. And I said to you, maybe I would just go all in on coaching and you without uh, hesitation, like, yeah, you should probably do that. And I was like, yeah. And you said, yeah, it seems like you and Patrick have this good thing going. Like, why don't you do it? And I had always, I'd looked up to you as an entrepreneur who was making his living doing what he loved to do. And you're like, yeah, I mean, I do all these different things, but it's not like a job and you're working on these projects. And it kind of like opened my mind up of, okay, kind of, this is where I want to go. Let me map it backwards. What do I have to do? How do I take these steps forward? And I was actually upstairs um, taking like SEO classes on Udemy um, mm-hmm. when I was crashing in Mav's room. Just like, <laughs> that weekend. It might have been OKC or some yeah. spring race. But let's back up because this is really yeah. good for people that want to get out of the 95 gig. I mean, uh, I get messages from people who are like, there's two types of messages. Hey man, I love the stuff you post. It's really inspiring to try and like ride more and get out and like break out of my routine. Very Mm -hmm. cool. Then there's the other messages who are like, Oh man, must be nice to ride at 1 PM. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. I'm super thankful when really I want to be like, Hey, F off dude. I've worked really hard to create this schedule for myself. Like don't be bitter. Yeah. If you go on LinkedIn and look up Andrew Chastain, you were out of college and you did recruiting purchasing yeah. development so yeah. you weren't on this you like went kind of where a lot of us go we get out of college we get a degree let's go get sure. a job and work for somebody right the transition mentally of like this isn't me i want to do something different like, yeah photography then i mean yeah i was let me all back up i was really never meant to work for anybody i just you know i was a bad kid i never listened to you know 
what my mom said or my dad and like I was always getting in trouble my you know I you know that was back when spankings were okay <laughs> and I would get spankings and I'd laugh at my dad while he was spanking me like I was just a um I never was uh meant to work for people right like and so I got out of college and I worked for a bank and I, you know, for a year or two years. And then I worked as a recruiter for a couple of years and I made really good money, but I hated it. I wore a suit every day to work. Get out of here. I mean, I'm white trash. I'm, I'm not meant to wear a suit. You know, I'm a boy. I don't, dude, I'm staying in your house. I don't think you can call yourself white trash. But I, I was never meant to, like now I don't even own a suit. I just don't own one because I wore one every day for a couple of years. And I, and so I got, I, I got into photography through a buddy of mine and um you know that was a couple years before I got out of all the corporate world I guess if you, I guess you could call it and I got super into photography and um I decided to quit my job um I saved up some money kind of had a little bit of a nest egg so that I'd be okay for a year mm-hmm. um and not and I'd made no money that first year like it was a it was a struggle you know but I did enjoy the freedom and I enjoyed uh being able to do my own thing and be on my own schedule and um and the rest is really kind of history like I have fumbled over the years you know not making a lot of money and then um maybe building websites for people or you know what I mean like I hustled at times when things weren't good um but I now I guess we come back to the point where I never could make a good living just shooting photos for you know when I first started taking or shooting photography I did weddings and whatever could pay the bills right Mm -hmm. and then I grew to hate all of that because I didn't want a job I wanted a hobby that I made money at right that was my goal in life was to have a hobby that I made money at and so I shot cycling photography over the years for free, right? Like, cause I loved it. I would go to races, I'd shoot races and you know, whatever. And uh, it finally, finally kind of fell in line when I decided to package my, I guess my services into uh, a vast array of new things other than just photography. So social media, writing, brand strategy, Um, I even do some product development for some of my clients, uh, in the bike industry. And so, um, I tell people I'm doing right now what I would do for free. I, Mm -hmm. I would do what I do right now for free if I could, Mm -hmm. because I love it like that much. I love it that much. Um, Keep going. Sorry. I I just, you're really good at it all too, which is awesome to see as like an outsider and just watch what you're doing with not only your own personal brand, but the brands that you work with and represent. It's like, once I knew who was behind some of these accounts, I'm like, damn dude, that's Andy stuff. Like this is fire. It's awesome. Well, so I tell every client or potential client that I'm working with that if I'm not passionate about your brand and what you're doing, my work will be terrible and you will hate it and I will fail. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm very honest with all the people that I potentially am about to work with or for that I work off of passion and uh, uh, emotions, right? So if I'm not into your brand or your or that 
certain, you know, brand philosophy or that company or whatever, my work will be terrible and I'll fail at it. Um, and so that's why the, every client that I work with currently, I love what they're doing. I'm passionate about it. And, um, I feel super thankful that I get to do this because I know that a lot of people go to work every day, hating it, you know, and I don't feel like I have a job at all. I feel like I've been unemployed for 15, 20 years. <laughs> You said that to me. You're like, I don't have a job. I'm like, dude, I bet your house. I'm watching you work. You're doing like, other <laughs> projects, projects that I enjoy doing. It doesn't but, feel like work, man. It doesn't dude, feel like work, man. It is so important here though. Like jumping back to what you said, when you're initially doing jobs that don't make money, when you're building the foundation of this, I've done it twice. And I've told someone before, some of your best work is when you're not getting paid. When I first went out on my own in medical devices, the first year on my W-2, I could have made more money at McDonald's. Literally. It was all like getting my name out there. Who am I? Building relationships, getting in the hospital systems, da-da-da-da. Also, I could make more money later. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't have the foresight to be like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat shit for this year and make 30K so that I can make way more down the road. But it takes that discipline to be like, okay, this is the game plan. Like I'm not okay. just here, what not just this month's paycheck. And when we started Evoke Bike, I mean, I was, I walked into a hospital in Arkansas and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And Chris was actually like, why don't you do the coaching? Like you mm-hmm. love it. And once yeah. the, the best thing that I've learned, which is, has been a huge like momentum gatherer, you close one door and so many doors that you don't even know are there will right. open. Like right. I'm sure you saw it and like more brands reach out to you. You do a really good job with one brand and there's this mm-hmm. other brand. And I think that's even like you have people that approach you and these brands are incredible. And then you go in and since you are passionate about it, you crush it. It's like I've watched, you know, through allied cycle works. Obviously I saw that first cause I was on the DNA team. We were sponsored mm-hmm. by them. I think you had just picked up a relationship with them. Right. And it's like their page has exploded and the content crushes from us. Like there's clearly someone passionate behind the camera Mm -hmm. writing, not only like funny captions, but ones that have people engaged and make you think if you want to interact, which I think it's the whole point of this, like social network. For sure. Uh, What's so how, and this is almost like a two prong question. It's good to hear from your side as an individual, but also you've been involved in running a team with Chad in DNA mm-hmm. where I remember somebody came to me when I was um, helping to run a team up Northeast Mount Bora. And they were like, yeah, I want to get this team together. We need like $5,000. Right. And I was like, dude, think about it. $5,000 is like one stage race. You need a lot of money. Right. Um, what's a good way maybe from both sides running a team, but also in your own professional life of build, how do you build these relationships? Like how do you go out and it, do you meet these people first? How do you show value? How do you maybe you didn't have a big portfolio at once. Like how do you really get your foot in the door? Let's say um, first, let's talk about it from a personal standpoint, like you as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know, Joey's watching this right now and he's like, this is me. I hate my job. I'm in recruiting. I'm pretty good at photography. Mm-hmm. his own page does he like does he work for free what do you think about working for free i mean we're kind of talking about that there's some people like never work for free i disagree with that but there's definitely a taboo especially in the like the photo industry yeah to not work for free but i think that if you really want to get a start in that mm-hmm. especially in photography like you have to work for free you just have to do it 
and you're going to upset some people who are like well-established photographers out there because they don't work for free. Mm -hmm. Um, and they quote, quote, value their work. You know what I mean? Um, which I, 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 I mean, I agree with that sentiment, but let's not get on our high horses here. A lot of people can take pictures in the world, right? Like, so I worked for free for a long time. Um, and a lot of it is because I loved it, right? Like I want, I wanted to, um, and I wanted to go to a race or go on a bike packing trip and shoot that trip. Right. And like, I even submitted some of those photos to brands that were in the, you know, like maybe their product was in the photo and said, if you would like to use this on social media, go for it. You know what I mean? Like, that's all. I didn't charge anything. Like, um, and it, it was all because I wanted to get my foot in the door. I was hustling. Like, let's, I mean, that's how you get ahead, right? You hustle. Yeah. You know, you, you get out there and you put your product, whatever that product is. Mm-hmm. In my case, it was photos or whatever. And I even, I would even write, write copy that went along with those photos so that they could use that copy if they wanted to, right? The back, some background on the story of that image or whatever. But that doesn't just, I mean, that's not just for what I do. That's for anything, like mm-hmm. whatever your product is that you offer or that you're interested in or that you're passionate in, you got to hustle it, right? You got to put it out in front of people. You got to sell it. We're really all yeah. sell. I mean, there was a yeah. guy one time, shout out to Chris Mikowski. He, we were in a bike shop. He's like, I love sales because you're either selling or you're getting sold. And I was yeah. like, damn, yeah, okay, I'm going to go hustle. So, right. in, so then switching to the team aspect, I had a guy who was like, hey, I'm looking at like local teams. There doesn't seem to be anything like great. It really feels like a fit. Where should I start? And I told him, start with the squad. Who would you want to race with? Mm-hmm. And he's a cat four. So I'm like, let's go realistically. You really don't, you're going to get like the car dealer is going to give you 500 bucks and maybe mm-hmm. the sub shop's going to give you a couple hundred bucks. But like right. if someone, I said, you know, how can they, how do you guys as DNA, like, yeah, it was pretty cool to come in and you guys really helped me see a bigger picture of like bikes, kids, reg fees. There was a lot of things going on. Whereas I'd kind of always cobbled together like a couple of them. And I see it, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it was like you were able to convey the value to the partners. Um, they weren't just sponsors. And that's, I think, how did you usually say that? You're like, I don't want to get a sponsor. I want to get like a partner with our Yeah, team. we didn't, we, that's, that was kind of our verbiage. We didn't want a sponsor. We wanted some of the, somebody that we could partner with. For example, like, um, like if we had a car dealership as a sponsor, we didn't want them to just give us a car that we could use. We wanted to, we wanted them to come to our weeknight crit that we put on mm-hmm. and do something that created value at that crit for like, for example, we did, we had, uh, uh, we had Fowler, uh, Fowler, uh, Volkswagen or Fowler Toyota. I think it was a different couple of different Fowlers over the years, but they would come to our weeknight crit and set up this little area for kids to hang out at. Right. Mm-hmm. So that you could bring your kids to the crit and they could play while you're racing. Right. Yeah. That's a great value. Right. And that's not a monetary value, but that's like an in-kind added value to the event that we put on every weeknight. Right. Mm-hmm. The crit. Um, and that, was a partner instead of a sponsor, right? They got some value out of it. We got value out of it. And it was like a all, it was like this kind of uh, 
partnership, if you will. And that's what we always, that's what we always strive for with our sponsors that we wanted them to be involved. We just, we didn't want just a check, right? We wanted them to be involved in what we were doing. We wanted to partner with them on social media. Like we provided imagery to our sponsors so that they could use, right? Like we're providing value back to them. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not just a one way street, them giving us a check. Mm -hmm. Like we also provide some sort of a value for them. Um, and we, you know, we would start group rides from the coffee shop that sponsored us or, you know, it's when you're, when you're in a sport like we're in, where it's, you're, you're at the mercy of sponsors, you have to create a value back for them. Right. Like it's, unless, unless you just have a sponsor that's flush with cash and they just like you and they don't want anything in return, um, which is rare. It does happen, but it's rare. Mm-hmm. You have to create some sort of a value back for them. Even if it's not a, if, even if it's not a quantifiable, you know what I'm saying? Right. So we felt like partnering was better instead of saying sponsors. I think the photography thing of lending them Im- imagery and other things like content that they can reuse is a really great way for people to start. So it's for like, sure. Hey, who's good at photos? you know, get some good photos, engaging sure. with the products, um, things like that. That's, um, that's really, so then when you kind of going back to the personal thing, you know, was Ally the first big brand that you had worked with or in the cycling space? Yes. So how did, how did you approach that? Like, I, you know, I think as a lot of entrepreneurs see, like when your business starts to take off, you're kind of like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, oh right. my God, is this working? Yeah. What are ways that you were like, okay, got this one going to keep expanding this. Like the iron's hot. I'm doing something right. right. how do you kind of manage that growth mindset? I kind of just, I mean, first of all, getting into where I'm at currently, I just backed into it. It wasn't, I, I mean, I hate this probably doesn't go along the lines of like how things are supposed to go, but I just accidentally, you know, That's, we, life, we, though. That's how these things happen we, we as a team reached out to Ally because we were a huge fan of the brand. We thought it was cool and uh, had a nice, you know, story to it because they're made here in the United States. So we reached out to them for a sponsorship and in the sponsorship partnership, we offered to provide them with content. And, you know, um, that was an area that they were lacking in at the time. They uh, had a really nice thing going with the brand, but they did, they weren't telling their story in a, Mm-hmm. in a way that I, we felt that they could. So we were like, well, we'll help you with that. And then um, we closed that deal. And then I can't remember how long down the line it was. They were starting to use some of our, you know, images or whatever. And I just pitched the brand on, I got this wild idea that I'd pitch them on the brand of, Hey, why don't you let me run your social media? And I actually sent them a bunch of uh, like sample posts, right. That, that's a really good. I idea. would have I would have posted on their account if I was running it right, and that started like a month to two month long you know conversation and negotiation and kind of the rest is history. We we worked a deal. Um, I'm on. I work like on a year uh, contract basis with them, which mm-hmm. is how I do all of my clients at this point. But that was my first one. And it literally, I, again, I just backed into it. I just got this idea that I would pitch them on it. And then the rest has kind of become history where I'll be, I'll get approached by a brand that found out that I was running the allied 
social media or someone else, right? And so it's just kind of been a slow growth process that was fully accidental. I love that you say it's accidental and you backed into it when you thought about pitching them. You made <laughs> sample posts. You were like everything but just getting back to him. Like you pretty much made that happen, which is the Yeah, awful. but like I, I, I guess accidental in that. You, know, you can't, but I'll pat yourself on the back. <laughs> accidental in the, in the case that I never thought it would grow to other clients. Which right? is like Chris King. Can I name some of these? That well, I, know? I do some project work for some of these other clients, but I do, I do like the Meteor. I do Arundel. Um, I do uh, an, uh, an outdoor apparel brand as well. So I have a, a these, are, these are what I would call full-time clients that I work okay. with, right? I do have some projects, companies that I work with, like on project basis when they need photos or whatever the case may be. I work with Easton a little bit and some other brands. But um, yeah, so I just never expected it to grow, right? Yeah. Um, so when I say backed into it, that's what I mean. I kind of backed into it like on accident, right? I never thought five years ago that this is what I would be doing, but I mean, I'm extremely happy. This is, this is what yeah. I'm doing, right? That's the amazing so, part of life. It's like the journey. You can never, I, I'm a big believer in like four, I feel, feel like my life cycles in four years. I like look at four year chapters. It's been very odd. Okay, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Oh, interesting. So I'm sure they'll change now that I've like caught on to that. But as is like right. ever since college, the first four year cycle, I've been on these four year like things and it's very yeah. interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm very similar. Um, and a lot of it is because I, I like doing different things. I, I get bored. I want to do new things and, you know, challenge myself. And again, I don't want to get a real job. And so, um, you know, I mean, I guess if someone was watching this pod, this podcast or whatever, and they had to like pick out like a small segment of this, yeah. you know, to, to watch or listen to, it would be this part right here. I always tell people that you should do what you want to do and mm-hmm. what makes you happy. Forget about the money, forget about everything else. Um, example i'll give you an example well you for one you're an example but we already know about you your your viewers already know about you i've got a friend who's always been a like a wild free-spirited kind of guy but he got into the corporate world of medical device sales and and then he started making this money right and then he started spending money and buying nice cars and he and he accumulated debt right but this is a free spirit guy who never he, he doesn't fit there. He de- he's not happy there. Mm-hmm. He got, he got drawn into that whole, like that whole money-making, like, and it's, then spending and then going into debt. Right. And big thing. Yeah. We all know this, like we've all kind of, at least in big ways or small ways been here, but he came to me a couple of years ago and he's like, man, I'm so unhappy. How can I do what, you know, how can I work for myself or, and I was like, get rid of your car. You don't need a nice car. Trim down your life, pare down your life and do what you want to do. He's in a phenomenal, uh, he used to be a yoga instructor and he used to be one of the best in the city here. And he got out of that for money. And I'm like, what do you love to do? And he started rattling off these things that he loves to do. And I was like, do them. Mm-hmm. And he, he couldn't do it. And he's still not doing it. And he's still unhappy. And so my advice to people is always do what makes you happy, even if you don't make much money, because in the end, what is, 
I know we all need to be comfortable, right? Right. But like, what's more important than that? So I, I know didn't... a lot of people who make a lot of money and they're extremely unhappy at their job. Hundred percent. And uh, well, I think this is interesting. I did not see the story going that way. I thought this guy was going to become like go no, back to yoga. Still but, unhappy. Dude, yes. Thing. I mean, I I think it's a really what's the action step? Because everyone who hears you say that is like, yeah, dude, I, I got to pay the bills though. I sure. do. But there's something to be said. I will always remember I was moving to Tennessee. I was, uh, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was like, and my mom, when I first moved to Chicago, she's like, you're moving there without a job. I'm like, I'll figure it out. Like there's lots of jobs, sure. but I was leaving the Simon school with my books. And this guy's like, Hey man, I'm, I really admire what you're doing. And I was like, what am I, what did I like win something that I don't know? He's like, and I was like, you lot, you got me. Like what it, admire what he's like you're just like picking up and you're moving and i'm like mm-hmm. you could do this he's like yeah. no man i mean and he lived behind me the street behind me he's right. like no i've got that house i've got a good job i'm like yeah, yeah. i just sold my house and yeah i'm gonna go get a different job down in tennessee yeah. like yeah. i just couldn't do that i'm like you right. really could and it kind of like i remember that telling myself don't ever have that mindset like mm-hmm. don't be scared to pick up and go somewhere and yeah. The less stuff we we're good at accumulating things like, you know, we're in America, buy this really big house, fill it with stuff. And I love, I mean, Chris and I have a small house here. There's no room to fill stuff with, which is great. Otherwise we just have a ton of crap that we don't need. 100%. Um, But so what do you think to that guy? You're telling him, okay, go do what you love to do. How do you make money though? Some people aren't wired to take that risk. And I understand that. Like, Mm-hmm. I've always been willing to take risk in life and I failed a lot. I failed countless times. Part of right? it. Gotta be okay um, with that. You have to be able to be okay with failing. Um, and, and, and let me, sorry to cut you off. Be okay yeah. failing publicly because yeah. you know, you gotta like, when I left medical device, people were like, Oh, you're not doing medical device. And I'm like, no, I have this like cycling coaching brand. And they're like, Oh, sort of like, Oh, that's cute. Like, yeah, exactly. You must make five dollars, and I'm like, for you, yeah. Have fun with that. Have fun with that lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> it's just you know, uh, you gotta like be okay with people's misunderstanding of what sure. you're doing. And yeah. uh, but what would be an action step? Because I guess I want to. One thing that I think of is there's people that talk about like, hey, okay, you know, if you ever read like a Gary V book, he might be like you know, go do your nine to five. If you're willing then to hustle from 6 PM till midnight, start building your other business. Um, You know, you don't have to go crazy and quit and have no money to not have a plan. Like, but start like take action. So many people that say, well, I would really love to do that. Great. Do it. It might mean that you don't watch TV at night and you don't go to the bar and you don't stick around doing nothing. Right. What would maybe be, how do you view that of like, if your buddy had really been like, okay, what's my action step? Like, what should he have done besides get rid of the stuff he doesn't need? Trim sure. down the You know, like how do you, is it just- well, a- I think that is, I think that's the first action step is finding out where's your excess in life, right? Like my buddy has this, you know, that we, I was just talking about who hasn't made, taken that step that he probably should. He has- gotten himself into a house and car debt that is hard to get out of. It really is. But I mean, for example, when I, you know, I used to drive a $4,000 Toyota Yaris 
that I paid cash for, right? And that helped me in, in a time when I wasn't making a lot of money, right? Yeah. Um, to, I didn't have a car payment. Insurance was really low. Thing got 40 miles to the gallon. Also, I never had to lock it too, which was cool. <laughs> nobody's gonna steal anything out of that car, right? Um, and honestly, looking back, I'm 40 years old. That looking back on my life, that was my favorite car I've ever had. That's and I've awesome. had some nice cars along the way, but that was my favorite one because I didn't owe anything on it. Yeah. It was super dependable. And I never had to lock it because no one was going to steal anything out of it. Like that was like the simple things in life, right? It's like, that was a simpler time, you know? So, I mean, I'm digressing here, but what I'm saying is like, if you, if you're, you know, underneath a heavy car payment or a heavy house payment, do you really need either one of those things? Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you do always have to have a payment on a car because you don't make enough money, but you could have a payment on a $4,000 car that's right. still dependable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't, I don't look at, I don't, I, but I, again, I don't look at material things as important to me. I look at being happy and experiences are important to me. Right. So I just see things a little bit differently than maybe like your average suburban, you know, American does. But I, I want to be happy and I want to do fun things in life and I want to travel and I want to do, I want to do what I want to in life. I don't want to be held down by a job that I don't like, you know, even if I'm making a million bucks a year, I don't care. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, we have the viewpoint too, we're coming from, we have a sport like cycling and I want to get into the horseshoe hell, like you're a mountain climber, rock climber, whatever you want to exactly sure. call it. But I remember when I was doing the nine to five, I was actually in um, recruiting and when I was in Chicago, it was my first job out of college. And I remember seeing like where the next step, like what the next position was. I was like, I don't want to do that. And that's when I moved back East. But the thing was like, I left a bar on Friday night and I was like, this is interesting. Like, I feel like all I got into medical devices. I'm like, my cycle is like work kind of hang out on the weekends and then go to work. And like, there's a lot of people that don't have a thing like cycling where they don't even know, like what the passion is, what the love mm -hmm. is, what the, sure. what the other thing is. And so I think with, we're talking, I'm sure this is 95% cyclists are going to watch it. Maybe sure. a few triathletes out there. We won't judge right. you for that. Uh, you guys have this other passionate thing in your life. And if you can find a way to follow that and, um, it is like the corny cliche thing, but if you follow passion, so many more doors will open up that I never even knew we we're going to be there. Um, yeah. and trying to have those experiences and, um, well, I'm going to guess in your instance, if we're talking about you, you probably work a lot better in what you're doing now than what you did before because you like it. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. You're performing better. You're more efficient. You're, you're, you know, Monday morning, you don't wake up dreading work. Dude, right? I used to hate Sundays. Yeah. I hated Sundays. I mean, number one, I was hungover. But number two, <laughs> it was just like, I got to go to this hospital and I got to right. deal with these people and I hate this and I want to ride and da da da. And really, though, I think there's a book called Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod that I read with Chris because he was going to this dental conference and this guy was going to speak there. So we're like, let's read this dude's book. Read the book and I was like, that's amazing. This guy's story is really cool. He has a lot of great like life pointers. I highly recommend it. It's a quick read. 
he goes, there is a way in life to wake up every morning where you kick the sheets off and you feel like it's Christmas. And I was like, okay, that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and now, and now though, I will say I've, a lot in my life has changed since getting married, refocusing yeah. on positive things. Right. When I think about this dude, when I wake up and it's Monday morning, I'm like, yo, dude, let's get it. And Cooley's like, let's get it. And I'm like, yeah. damn, I would not be saying that if I was about to trudge off to the For hospital. Sure. And right. it's like we're just talking to athletes from all over the world. And I'm talking to people like you. And we're right. making these vlogs and helping people get faster and find right. you know, ways to enjoy the bike. It's like I kind of – people say it's like cycling coach and I'm kind of like, well, yeah, it's kind of like cycling media platform. It's more like coaching cyclists to be happy rather than just get fast. Well, yeah, you're not, I mean, a, a happy cyclist is probably a faster cyclist. 100%. 100%. And it's, a less, it's a cyclist that's not as burned out. And yeah. It's a cyclist that doesn't get uh, overtrained. It's a cyclist that stays, you know, they're riding to get fast, they're also riding because they love it, right? There's a difference. And that that gives you longevity for the long haul, for the like the guys that I know that are just training for training, right? That's yeah. it. Yeah. They they go through these real weird cycles of like burned out, real <laughs> motivated, burned out, real motivated. But if you love it, right? Yeah. If you love it, you you stay on this like, yeah, you're you're hitting these peaks with your training, right? And I'm I know. I don't know anything about what you know about training. I'll, I'll be the first. I love how little you know about it, but how fast you got. When we started talking, I'm like, Andy doesn't know shit about biking. I know nothing. I literally know nothing. I don't, I, I wouldn't even, I could not tell you how to peak for a race. Because you, you won't even do an interval. I was like, please do some intervals. You're like, no. Well, this is, this is my fitness level through a year. <laughs> I, I don't do any of these. But I, what I'm trying to say is, even even someone who who is peak like a, a one of your you know students or whatever right one of your clients if they're still having fun at all these levels of peak and like base whatever you know mm-hmm. they're not going to burn out right right there's a there there needs to be a passion there and that's probably where a good coach can ex- distinguish themselves from just a regular coach keeping people motivated when things aren't great right and you know it's and helping it's them just pull, coaching and helping them pull back because like once the fitness starts taking off and it's like i need to do more and more and more like i'm seeing good results so let's pour gas on the fire i'm like that's not really how this works you're gonna go up in yeah. flames as opposed to like taking off right. so, like, sometimes it's pulling people back which is yeah. it's tough that's actually harder than motivating people like I, I do the cheerleading that i need to do but that is like i'm pretty since I'm like a pretty direct person, if you're not riding, I'm not going to be like, you really need to ride. You really need to ride. Like you have to want to ride if you want right. to be at this sport. Yeah. Um, I knew I had a shout out Nick Zito. He was, when we were both cat fives, um, he was like the dude and we're, we're close friends. But I remember he was like, I hate riding by myself. And I was like, I'm going to be better than this guy. Because if you can't ride by yourself and you don't want to like train, it's going to be really hard to always be training with a training right. partner. Like it's just right. not, we're adults. We don't have exactly. that ability, but, um, yeah, I agree. So the mountain, so is it rock climbing, mountain climb, rock, rock climbing, I guess. It's like technical. Yeah. It would be rock climbing. So it would be like technical kind of gymnastic climbing on a rope. So wait, what, what you do? Is that how you so, describe it? 
I, when, when I use the word gymnastic, I mean more like really difficult moves, right? Like ah. you're not summiting Everest, the type okay. of climbing I do. The type of climbing I do, you're on a rope and you're making these really hard moves on like a 100 foot route cliff okay. right face. And so if anybody, this is a good point for everybody that wants to put on an event because you host the biggest rock climbing, 24-hour rock climbing event in North America. Here's the thing. I don't know for sure, but I've been told it's the biggest rock climbing competition in the world, period. Period. Um, We're also the longest running one now, too, I believe. So I think we've been going going on 16 years. So does this, are you counting this year? The streak die? We didn't have it this year. Yeah, we had to we had to cancel it. So we'll make that as an asterisk. Next year we'll still be seventeen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. We had a virtual event, so it counted. Oh yeah. it does count that does count. What's yeah. so how did this start? And I mean, you have sponsors on board for this type of thing. Excuse me, partners on board for this type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. What is, I mean, this kind of goes hand in hand with people that want to throw a bike race and it's, yeah. I wouldn't do that because I think that, well, I'd want to be racing rather than throwing it, but like, it's a lot of work. Yeah. How is this something that you love to do? Is this something that is more like a business side for you that you're like, well, I can make some money doing this. I think I'll do it. And I like it. It's a big party. How did horseshoe hell happen? And like, where's it going? Yeah. I, uh, again, I backed into this one too on accident as well. Like, we were uh, me and a bunch of buddies were out climbing at this uh, private ranch, uh, rock climbing ranch in uh, Arkansas, and we just got this wild idea of there's so many uh, different routes out there that we got an idea to put on a 24 hour climbing event, um, really with just our buddy, just us, mm-hmm. and then and then it kind of like it just it really just kind of all evolved into hey let's invite 50 people out and see how many rock climbing routes we can climb in 24 hours and uh none of my buddies wanted to do the work to make it happen and so i was like yeah i'll 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 take a i'll i'll try right and so i went to the owner of the ranch and asked him and pitched the idea and he said he said yeah you can do whatever you want just make sure that you let me know what you're going to do so this is like 2000 no this is in 20 2003 that would have been 2006 2006 i'm good about yeah yeah so this would have been our 15th year, I think. I think our 15th year, yeah. Okay. Anyways, so our first year, we kind of just threw this thing together and had 120 people. We were blown away. That's crazy. Um, and then within two years, I had Patagonia on board as title sponsor. And they've uh, been title sponsor ever since. We are the largest event that they sponsor in the world every year. So we just kind of got lucky as in um, – I fashioned this event to be very community driven and I actually gave all of the participants, attendees, anybody who come, like they kind of own the event every year. They get to make decisions. We have this big Facebook private group um, where we um, talk about what's going on that year and new ideas that anybody has about what they want to do. And we got, I don't know, like 3000 people in that group. Wow. And, uh, and people just throw out ideas and then we vote on them. And it's this weird, like open sourced kind of event, right? Where people get to make the decisions or at least vote on the decisions on what happened at the event each year. And so people feel like they own a little piece of this event and it creates more buy-in and it creates 
um, really what it's kind of done is created like this little cult, essentially. Um, and I say that in a positive way, like a positive cult. Totally. Yeah. yeah. A good cult where the, uh, where the cult leader doesn't try to have sex with everyone. Right? <laughs> that's the snippet. <laughs> that's the like Facebook clip right there. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's, the that's the key for a cult's longevity. Is uh, the leader should never try to have sex with everyone, you know? Just a few. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's, uh, we've had really, I mean, really great results. I mean, we have a couple thousand people every year. I can only allow 500 climbers in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, we typically have anywhere from 1,500 to 2,000 people apply for those 500 spots every year. So, there's a really high demand for the, we do a lottery is what we do. Um, so if you get in and you hit the lottery for sure. Is it a real lottery? Like it is a real lottery. Yeah. We randomly pick. Yeah. Because I, so that's how do people feel like if they've been there, see I haven't been able to get into DK. And the one thing that irks me a little bit is that it's like, have you done this race before? And I'm like, no, because I can't get in. And I feel like people that have done it, and granted, I'm okay if you've sure. done it for five years and you were the, one of the first ones there. Like, hey, you beat me to it. But yeah. I just, that's just not how – I don't know. I, I guess I get the lottery, but I'm like, this one just doesn't seem fair. So maybe – I don't know. I guess I'm just yeah, saying. You would think that they would give a little bit – they would give maybe – I don't know. I guess that they could probably open up spots for first-timers, like d- definitive spot, like a certain number, right, for first-timers. That way people will – I mean – maybe that way more people can experience the event kind of thing. Um, I sometimes wonder why does there have to be a limit for yours? It's because there's no room on the rocks. Yeah, for sure. We have to have one. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm really not sure on the DK thing. I really have no idea. Waves in and who knows, maybe it'll change since that one dude is gone. But yeah, um, with the face, with the Facebook thing, that's interesting. So we have a WhatsApp group and I like the idea of a cult because we have, we have a WhatsApp group. There's probably about 50 something people in there just yep. to like share ideas, whatever. I, the right. thing that I've almost considered is moving it to Facebook for a couple of reasons. Number one, for like voting capability. Yeah. Uh, number two, people that use WhatsApp for texting, you know, you can mute the channel, but some people sure. don't get a text message. Sure. But the thing that I like is that, and I would only move it to Facebook to allow more people in, like people that have done, like we'll do like $8 training plans for people or people mm-hmm. that are no longer with us. And I'm like, you can leave. I'm still cool with you. Is there sure. a way though, to give some priority in voting or anything, do you know, to people that are like actually paying athletes or like question, Besides a moderator, Maybe I'm really not sure about that. I mean, as far as I know, it's it's possible that you guys are all are, equal. Though? What's that? You guys are like all equal in the chat, just like. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm going to assume that there's even people in our group that have never even been. Mm. Um, I don't know that for sure. I think the vast majority of people are regulars and have been every year and they come and that type of thing, or they've come in the past and they just want to stay up to date with what's, what's going on. It's actually a pretty tight knit community. We have like a, it's a really weird, I say weird. It's a really interesting vibe because we have, it is a 24 hour rock climbing competition, but the whole event is five days. And so it's kind of like this burning man esque. Mm -hmm. people wear costumes all weekend. It's, it's not 
the 24 hour climbing competition is now a small part of the entire event now. It's very, it's very festival-esque now. Okay. We have a lot of things going on. We have music, we have films playing at night in an open field, you know, it's very cool. Um, but people wear costumes and act crazy. And, you know, it's kind of one of these events where you can go and be who you want to be for a week out of the year that you can't be at home. You know what I mean? You should be that person all the time. Yeah, you should be, but you, you know, you, maybe you don't feel like you can be or whatever. Right. This is that place where you can come and be whoever you want to be. Even if it's not you, you can yeah. be somebody else. You know? I've seen the pictures. It looks pretty yeah. crazy. As long as you're kind. That's the most, I mean, that's the rule. You got to be kind. Okay. Um, and luckily in 15 years, we've really, we've actually had no, no incidents. You've never kicked somebody out? Nope. Never kicked anybody out. Wow. Yeah. There's never been a fight. Never been one fight. Never been. It's, it's a very, it's a very interesting. And I think a lot of that has to do with, it's a community. Everybody feels like they, you know, even if they don't know you, your neighbors and your job is to look after your neighbor's campsite, you know, over the weekend or like mm -hmm. it's very communal. Right. Mm -hmm. So establishing that vibe at a bike race would be gold in my opinion. It's well, hard to do. Yeah, uh, yeah it's hard it's to hard do. To I was do. actually going to ask you because we were supposed to do hard Iowa Winden Rock, but you broke your wrist. You have a, this is a, becoming a trend. I've just realized. Um, okay. We could have used you there for sure when we realized we showed <laughs> up and we're like, "Oh, we don't have headlamps." Oh, no, we had headlamps. No, we didn't have headlamps, and we didn't have like cue sheet holders. And we're like, <laughs> "We are really aft." So our last racing experience together was going to be like super ultra long gravel. You just did a regular gravel race. What's your plans for racing gravel or road? Are you going to still do masters road stuff? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. I still like it. I mean, especially this year, I've really missed it because we haven't had it. Right. Like mm -hmm. I can usually get my fix at like the weeknight crits or Texas, you know, Texas has a ton of road racing. So, and that's super close. So we'll go down there and race, but this year has been interesting. I think I'll be like really gung ho next year because we, there's been nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I, the past couple of years I've gotten super into the gravel scene. Um, but I'll definitely still race some road. Are you going to do, are you more into like hundred mile gravel or are you still thinking like 300 mile, 200 miles, super long, crazy stuff? I'm into both. You know, I had planned on doing the Arkansas high country race at the end of this month, if I wouldn't have this, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that's a thousand miles, um, bikepacking race. Um, Dude. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you're carrying all your gear and your whatever, you know, sleeping. You see Lachlan Morton's, uh, EF gone racing, the one in Spain. Yeah. That guy is really good at at this at this discipline he's really so good. he didn't sleep is that I, I don't think he slept for 40 hours and just rode i think i think that you could probably get away with that on the 40 hour thing it, when you go when you go over that over that i think that you're going to have to stop and like a lot of the people winning these real long bikepacking races are sleeping maybe two two-ish two to three hours a night yeah that's Typically. crazy because he said he was straight up hallucinating the last four hours and the guy behind him, I'm going to blank on his name. He he's a New Zealand guy. He races for black spoke now. Um, huh. Yeah. 
he came in second, but he was at 68 or 69 hours. So clearly oh, slept way behind, way behind, dude. The, the, wow. the times are like wow. middle of the group was like a hundred and something hours. Like Lachlan just wrote and wrote and it's, yeah. I think, I think that you would be really good at this. If, if you could put a governor on your speed. Because I can do that. I can do that. No, you try to go too fast. No, I did. I did the uh, 180 mile gravel worlds virtual recently, and for like the yeah. first three hours, I was like, "I'm gonna go middle zone two. <laughs> I just did. I I, I was gonna do um, horse bro- broken horse horse something in Iowa. Uh, yeah. It was supposed to be 200 miles because Iowa got all jacked up from like a hurricane or something. Yeah. Now 150. God, what is that called? It's horse something. It's speckled horse. I guess I and, haven't heard of, it. heard of it. Yeah. So it's um, the people that do Iowa Wind and Rock. Okay. They put it on Sarah Cooper. So it, if you look up Iowa Wind and Rock, that's the same day as I think it's speckled horse. It was speckled horse 200 okay. and now it's 150. Okay. And my strategy was I was going to go, I haven't ridden with anybody yet. I rode with Patrick like months ago, mm-hmm. like right before this really all broke out crazy COVID. Um, but I've been rolling solo still. And so I had made a deal with Chris. I was like, all right, if I go, I'll stay away from everybody. I'll let the race go. This will force me to pace myself and I'll just ride. I'll just go out and do a bike ride. I'm going to pass people. Like people are going to explode 80 miles in. Right. Um, and then we were like, he's like, okay, but what happens when you catch people that are actually fast? And I was like, yeah, probably not. Okay. <laughs> I won't go race. So um, that would be another cool one on the calendar. But I think that you would be good at thousand mile races. People, I have a buddy who rode cross country and Raleigh Weaver actually randomly rode cross country and should have called me, but he, he, they both were like, I think you'd be really good at this. People also thought I'd be really good at cyclocross, which I'm horrible at. So. Well, this is, this is just a tame, but you're really good at long distance stuff. You have that kind of like physiological Mm -hmm. makeup, right? Mm -hmm. And if you could, if you can get your kit dialed, like your, your, your uh, sleeping system and your, you know, whatever, and you can governor your speed, right? If you can stay in a zone and be disciplined, right? And if you can sleep two hours a night. That's what I don't know about. I like sleeping. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. Well, Mm. what if it's just two nights of two hours and that's it? I mean, if I'm racing, maybe. I just, I'd have to get into like, I would need help with like understanding the packing of things and carrying all this stuff. So it's it's just a new, interesting kind of, I say new, it's pretty new, but it's a very interesting new genre of bike racing, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, we are so used to one hour crits, 80 mile road races, right. Or, you know, one hour cyclocross. Well, you, you do a, you do a thousand mile gravel race and everything changes right? Suddenly the guy who blows your doors off for 80 miles, he's in trouble because he can't ride recovery pace for three days in a row, Mm -hmm. all day long. Literally, you 22 hours every single day of just recovery pace. 
that's it. Like that's a different, that's a, that's a completely different style of racing and whether it's exciting or not, you know, you may not be into that, but it's yeah. just a cool new different thing. Right. I wonder how hard the gravel is. I mean, there were parts in Oregon trail where I was like way above. I was like, even if I was physiologically fast enough to race with some of these dudes, which I'm not, uh, the handling technical parts were yeah, 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 brutal yeah, yeah. right for me well i think it just depends on the race like the arkansas high country race is 40 percent pavement and then i believe 60 percent gravel and in a super a lot of climbing a lot i like that i just yeah. need to make sure it's not like a guy sent me on this like cut through route in Asheville to get to this trail and I got and I was like damn it I didn't tell him that I suck off road it was like (laughs) I got on the path it was so damn technical within less than a quarter of a mile I u-turned went back to the road like (laughs) I was like I'm not even gonna try this no the Arkansas high country route's not like that it's it's just gravel and pavement that's it okay yeah. My last question for you, I guess you kind of actually jumped into this trends. You kind of are good at catching trends with just the state of riding. I mean, our team, I'm not really involved in the Zwift side, but like they jumped on the Zwift thing and they are cru- the yeah. women's, the men's team, the men's team is now international esports. Right. I think here to stay road yeah. going through a little like change of things like grand fondos are kind of cool. USA cycling sort of not as cool. Right. gravel maybe this bike packing is the next gravel iteration where yeah. do you see cycling going if you had to like look in the future more backpacking bike packing yeah but i think so i think that i think that road will come back i think it's very cyclical it's always cyclical right like it kind of goes away it comes back and also a lot of it kind of follows how american stars are doing in europe right and we got a couple of youngsters who are you got mm-hmm. Sepp Koos, you know, that mm-hmm. was killing it at the tour this year. Um, and that gets people interested, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the pandemic has gotten people back on bikes, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got a guy that's never ridden a bike or a girl, and they jumped on one during the pandemic, and they're hooked, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are going to show up racing next year. And those people are going to be interested in road or whatever the case may be. I think you're right on eSports, but um, – I think that that's definitely going to be a big, a big deal in the future. But I still think, I think you've got another few years of gravel still growing. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to find, um, you're going to find people putting on really interesting races. Like we had uh, kicked around the idea of uh, put in Bentonville, putting on like a, uh, what we were going to call the rule of three race where it's uh you know, it's a 90 mile race, but it's 30 miles of pavement. 30 miles of gravel and 30 miles of single track. And so it's the rule of three, but you have to be at least serviceable in all three to win Mm -hmm. or to be successful. Right. And there are places in America that have that type of infrastructure where you can really get all three of those genres. So I think that people are, in my opinion, people are looking for new and exciting ways to race a bike. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that we're not getting bogged down in the same old thing. So bikepacking, things like the rule of three race, or um, maybe even gentlemen's races, uh, which that's what they call them. But like, for example, like a, you have a four, four person team and you have a 150 mile course of mixed surface that you have to navigate through that, you know, 
150 miles and you have check-in stations where you have to get cue cards or, you know, maybe a pipe cleaner to prove that you were there. And, you know, the fastest team wins time trial format, right? So you go off in like teams of four go off in, you know, intervals of five minutes. Right. And so you're on your own, but you're working as it's like, those are cool ways to race a bike. That'd be interesting. Um, those are super cool ways to race a bike. And I think that the future is thinking of new ways to, to race. And I think that whatever that may be, I think that thing, people are going to invent new ways because people are thinking outside the box right now. Even, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you want to put on a race, think of something cool and new. Cool, new. Okay. I'm curious when you guys, how deep did you get into thinking of that? Which part would have been first, second, and third, the road, the gravel, or the single track? And would it have been technical single track? Would I die? uh, No, because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of single track in Bentonville that you can ride on a gravel bike. So essentially what you would do is. What about me? No, you'd be good. You'd be good. All right. You'd be fine. People forget how bad I am off road. I'm like, you don't understand. It's not. <laughs> it's like someone's first mountain bike ride. It's just like, ooh, shouldn't have brought this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, a rule of three race um, would be. Uh, I think that what we thought, what we thought, as far as like logistically speaking, would be best to start off on pavement. Okay. Um, that way, you have a group, right? Mass start. Mass start. Yes, it'd be a mass start. And then you roll gravel and then you finish with the 30 miles of single track because, well, there's two reasons. The first reason is you want it to be really hard and that's a hard way to finish, right? That's yeah. a extreme mile 60 to 90 is all single track. Ugh, terrible, right? Yeah. But you also have thinned groups. You've mm-hmm. thinned the herd out, right? If you started off on single track, you'd have, let's just say, 700 people trying to ride single track together that's a disaster that's yeah a disaster, you know no yeah i like that though because then it's uh i can try and hammer people's facing in the first 60 to give myself right. a bit of padding Get away okay. solo yeah. i can get a top 20 there i'm all but right with also that. like a, a race like this is really cool because you got to think about equipment tire choice yeah what what can you ride fast on pavement still mm-hmm. serviceable on gravel and you're not going to pop your tires on single track like there's a lots of, there is a lot of like equipment choice like. So single track does that necessarily mean? I mean, there is there like tame and technical. Like does single track imply like rocks, roots, and like other stuff? Or yeah, but I think what we were looking at was is very smooth single track. Like, um, very lots of climbing, lots of descending, lots of flowy kind of you know like you know groomed single track. Okay. Um, you, you wouldn't, I mean, in our case, we weren't, ta- we weren't thinking about doing something super technical because that, that would kind of ruin, the, like you'd need a mountain bike and you, you want to write race road on a mountain bike. You don't, you know, you want something that's going to be at least attainable okay. with a gravel bike. Right? right. So that was kind of our thoughts, but still 30 miles of it is still, is it's brutal. Yeah. Brutal. It's Cause the, the single track in Bentonville that we were looking at to work, to work that out is over a over a thousand feet of climbing per ten miles. Wow! So you're looking at at least three thousand feet of climbing just in the single track, just in the single track. They have some steep pitches there. I took a, a hard. It would be an extremely hard day. Yeah. And, but that's cool, right? That's a challenge that your your racers are going to race it, 
and then your your uh, your casual rider, they're going to have a goal of just finishing it, right? right? And so you got something for everything, which I think is the future of bike racing, right? Like just like gravel is, you've got people at the pointy end of the race, and they're ripping it, and they're looking for the win, right? Mm-hmm. And then you've got you know Johnny in the back that you know this is his first hundred miler, and he is his goal is to finish, you mm-hmm. know. So you got something for everything and everybody can hang out and have beer and drink and eat at the finish, you know? Yeah. Uh, There's a different vibe to those races. I mean, and I hope as the road kind of like circles back and kind of goes through whatever reformation it is, that there is that like more, a little bit like more carefree vibe, not like getting on a start line and no one's talking to each other and everyone's like, I don't know. I think mean, it's necessarily just road race nerves, but it's a whole different conversation. But it's it's hard to do just because road racing is very competitive and it's very kind of like type A, kind of like you know, you know. And I get that. Like you know, there's lots of egos in road racing, right? There's lots. We all have an ego at some. If you road race and you're even remotely decent at it, you got an ego. But you yeah. got to be able to push that aside and invite new people in and be welcoming, right? It, it, yeah, it's definitely not welcoming. That's the biggest thing that I've right. tried to personally embrace of just saying yeah. what's up to the new person on a ride yes. or whatever. Yes. Because that's the one thing I hated. When I <clears throat> showed up in basketball shorts, no one said a word to me. Yeah. And then when I started beating people, everybody wanted to be my best friend. And I was like, that's cool. funny. I've been here for a few months and you wouldn't even look at me before. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm kicking your ass, and now we're buddies. Like, yeah. nah, bro, not That's a good road bro. scene since the beginning of the road scene, right? Yeah. You know? But all right, how to change that? Yeah, I mean, if you have people that leaders in the in the scene that are willing to buck that trend, right, and be approachable and whatever, you can change that vibe, you know. And I I think that'd be cool. It'd be really good for road racing, in my opinion. Yeah. Agreed. Dude, this is awesome, man. Shedding a lot of light on, you know, outside of cycling, just following, I don't even want to say following your passions, that's overused, but following what you enjoy in life, figuring out a way to make that work as part of your life and uh, more of your day to day. I mean, do what you want to do in life. You only got, I mean, it's super cliche, but you only have one. Yeah. You got one life, right? Do you really want to spend it eight to five every day going into a punch a clock that you hate like there's no good in that right yeah i I think we also don't give ourselves enough credit of what we're going to be able to achieve and i think people that aren't surrounded by other people that were entrepreneurs and when it's not a real life thing like they're just seeing other people on social media it's harder to grasp but i think if you know i think that's gonna be my last send-off is like the action step is like start your entrepreneurial project after the job that you hate like go do that job that sucks and then go start working on something that you really love and see how much more energy you put into it and i mean i look back and i wish of course i wish i started doing this years ago but i I didn't go after and i didn't think like i was blogging about a ton of things just not coaching and had i thought like oh i should blog about all these things i'm like talking to my coach about would have been a great idea but that's why we're doing it now so if I if I would have if I went bankrupt tomorrow and lost everything, lost all of my clients, I would still be glad I did this because it it's worth it. It's totally worth it. And so, I mean, some people work an eight to five that they love, and you should do that, right? If right. that's what you love. Totally. But whatever it is, do it. Whatever you love, do it. Because and I think if you lost everybody tomorrow, 
that because you've gone through this process, you'd be able to rebuild something bigger and better again. Sure. So, yeah. yeah, I agree. Dude, my man, thank you. It's always good talking to you, man. When are you going to come stay at the house again? Well, I'm actually moving East Coast. Yeah. So Jackie, Jackie misses you. I miss Jackie. I miss seeing you guys, man. No, I'll be out there at some point for sure. I was actually thinking of – so we're moving to North Carolina and uh, going to be about 80 miles from my sister. Nice. Drivable back to upstate New York. Um, there's just That's a lot, a of, lot of hills to climb on a bicycle out there. Dude, I'm going <laughs> back in t- – not this weekend, but next weekend with my road bike. I had my gravel bike. Yeah. You can appreciate this. So Blowing Rock is this little mountain town. It's south of Boone. It's right off the Blue Ridge Parkway. Yeah. So our house is going to be, I think it's like a 10-minute bike ride to the parkway. Um, This guy is like, oh, you brought your gravel bike. Let me give you this route. Go to Globe Road off Main Street and take a ride. You can hit gravel. I'm like right out of the town. And like in Memphis, there's no gravel. I've never lived anywhere where I'm like, Wait, there's gravel right there? Yeah, yeah. So I ride down Main Street, all these cute little stores. That I'm like, oh, Globe Road, I take a right. He's not kidding. Like, it's gravel. And if you look on a map, I didn't realize this. The town is on a ridge. I'm descending, descending. I'm like breaking, 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 breaking. I'm like, <laughs> when is this thing going to stop? I looked down at my Garmin, 15 minutes. So it took me I probably a minute and a half to get to that street. It was like 13 minutes of descending. It's a 2,000-foot descent wow. right off the bat. So then you're in this valley, and they sent me up, like, you go down to Globe, North Carolina, you go up Gragg Mountain, come back east, and it was like a 30-mile route, 4,000 feet of climbing. Whoa! Dude, it was That's crazy. Amazing. It was so awesome. And so, the, the road riding out there is phenomenal. I can't wait! Yeah. <laughs> I was like, gravel bike was cool, but I've got this, I think it's like a 107-mile, 11,000-foot uh route planned out so yeah. i'm like chomping at the bit i can't wait we did a bike packing trip out of Asheville a few years back where we were linking up it's so stupid but we <laughs> rode our bikes we rode our bikes in between these gorges like linville gorge yes river gorge and all those right yes Linville's close to Asheville. linville's but, grandfather mountain i can't remember i'm not sure but yeah, yeah linville. Not far from blowing rock yeah oh okay okay yeah. So we linked, we, this was like a two week bikepacking trip. Was and this, we what do you call us? The, the great, terrible, or the terrible? We called it the, uh, what did we call it? Oh, the, uh, the something disaster. The, yeah. Uh, the beautiful disaster. The gorgeous disaster. Yeah. Because we were linking gorges. But ah. we were, we had all of our rock climbing gear packed on our bikes and our camping gear. And we were riding in between these different gorges and rock climbing at them. And it snowed on us. It it was in November or something like that. End of November. Snowed and rained on us. It was disaster. And honestly, I will never forget it because it was so terrible. But now I look back on it fondly, right? Like, because those areas are, riding out there is unbelievable. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I will definitely never be doing any. I remember looking at your photos and I was like, this looks horrible. Just. It was insane. And that you guys were climbing, like I couldn't believe yeah. what you guys were doing. It's like, oh hey, we just climbed this. I'm like, what the? How did the bike? And I'd see the bikes getting like take. It was. We were soaking wet for probably two weeks straight. Like it rained on us and snowed on us, and we rode through all these like old abandoned mines, like up in the mountains, and like 
coal mines, I guess. I don't, I mean, it was nuts, man. But we finished in Kentucky or I can't remember, dude. I, it was all a blur, but it was cool though. Uh, oh it was my cool. God. But the moral of my story is that where you're going to move to is there's really good bike riding out there. Yes. So I bet you're stoked. Yeah. I'm stoked. Hopefully That's you cool. come that way at one point. I'll be back there at some point for sure. Oh, no, we'll come visit you. We got the we got the built out van now. Oh, we dude. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That'll yeah. be the we'll, problem. We'll, we'll have to talk about van life. We'll get you. We'll get B Money out there with his van. Little, <laughs> little van rodeo. Yeah, for sure. Hell we would yeah. love to come visit. Awesome, man. Tell Jackie I said hello and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. Thanks. Bye, man. See ya. Yeah. Bye.